Right, welcome everybody to another in our series of Financial Wellbeing Podcast. My name's David Lloyd, uh, just a bloke who chats on podcasts, really, that's it, what I do. The David Lloyd. The David Lloyd, yes, that's right. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I am the David Lloyd. I do a bit of writing, a bit of chatting. A bit of what cricket. are you writing at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I am about to start work on my 62nd episode of BBC Doctors. Good Lord. Uh, I'm also writing a novel I'm about two-thirds of the way through uh, that had to take a back seat recently because I've been was busy writing my 61st episode of BBC <laughs> Doctors. Uh, um, so, yeah, I'm quite busy at the Can moment. Can you tell us what happens? Can you give us a bit of a, you know, a sneaky preview in Doctors? No. Oh. There you are. That's a simple answer. Do you, do you get, like, major fines if you... Yeah, like well, I get sent all of the serial stuff probably, you know, three to four months in advance because, obviously, that's how far in advance we're writing. People would pay good money to know this stuff. They would do. Well, when I used to write for EastEnders, we were absolutely sworn to major, major I secrecy. Imagine. But, of course, everybody that knew I wrote for EastEnders would say, oh, go on, tell us what's going to happen, tell us what the, what's going to happen. And I just couldn't. So I stopped telling people what I did because it just, <laughs> I just got fed up of people asking me to betray state secrets. Anyway, we're actually here to talk about your writing career, Chris, oh, yeah. before, we, uh, before we move on to today's podcast. Because you've written a book, The Financial Wellbeing Book, on which, obviously, this whole series of podcasts is based. But you've also written, well, you've written a couple of novels. I want to hear about Manners from Heaven, your latest one, which has been out um, not very long now. How's it's, that going? It came out just before Christmas. Bless you. Thank you for asking. Um, and the fact that I wrote it on you the to- script. Telling you, you told me I had to, yeah. <laughs> you said I was fired if I didn't ask you about it. And say how brilliant it was. It's a great book, oh, Chris. Bless you. That's a, a totally un- unprompted. I've been getting some wonderful feedback from people who have absolutely loved it and totally got the message. And I've had feedback from other people that have been completely not into it. <laughs> I'm not sure what that tells one but well it's a, obviously a book I mean I, I actually I haven't read it yet I've read the first couple of chapters but I haven't finished it yet but you've talked to me a lot about the subject matter and it's quite distinctive and interesting so I can understand why uh, it would divide people's opinion and I'm looking very much forward to finishing it myself so I can tell you what my opinion will be I reckon it's heading for that um, section of the bookstore which is unknown classics <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, enough of that nonsense. What's on today's podcast, Chris? What are we talking about? So on today's podcast, David, we're going to have a chat about how people can get help. Uh, regular listeners will know that in the last few podcasts, we've talked about how you get started on your financial plan, and in particular, a plan that's based around happiness. We've talked loads about the principles of money and happiness, and becoming self-limiting beliefs to understand yourself better. Now, I reckon one of my theories is it's not possible to challenge your own assumptions. I think we go through life with certain assumptions that we kind of build up from our values and our our experiences, and you can't challenge yourself. So a key underlying principle in creating a financial plan is that of know thyself, is that of uh, working out what you want from life and then spending your money on that. And I think you need outside help to be able to do that. So we're going to talk about a few of the ways in which you can get that outside help. And you, Chris Budd, founder and managing director of a financial planning firm, are the best placed person to give us impartial and objective advice on this. You can trust me, David. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I also, um, I think it's also important to uh, just just stop at this point and um, introduce a new section of the podcast, yeah. which uh, I'd like to call the sleep deprivation section. Oh, yes. Where we catch up with Tomo and his small baby. <laughs> How's it going, Tom? <laughs> Tomo, by the way, just <laughs> is our producer over there, for those that may have missed previous podcasts. He and his wife recently 
had a baby. Well, actually, she had the baby. All his work was done many months previously. How's it, how's it going, Tomo? Oh, it's all right. Do you know what? Actually, today is a landmark because he slept through from half past 11 to half past six. Oh, well, you will have the joy in 16 years' time of the fact that actually it will be the other way around. He'll sleep from half past six in the morning until half past, <laughs> until half past 11 at night. But uh, I wish you joy in all of that. Yeah, that is going well. Before we go on to what sounds like a very interesting uh, topic for debate, actually, let's, as we always do, read out some of the tweets that we've had in. So, as ever, follow us at Finn Wellbeing and send in any thoughts you've had about this podcast. We've had one from uh, Martin Stewart, whose Twitter handle is at London Money. He says, as advisors, we're corrupted by our profession and have forgotten what it's like to be a client. Well, that's an interesting statement. What's he referring to there, Chris? I think what he's saying is that most advisors don't take financial advice. I've done some some surveys on this. When I say surveys, rumour people got them to stick their hand up, ask who um, who takes advice, and, and very 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 few financial advisors take advice from other people. I've also put stuff on this on um, industry websites, and one person commented, "I'm perfectly capable of challenging myself." Thank you very much. Well, I don't agree with that. I don't think you are. I personally use somebody else. I pay somebody to do financial planning for me, and I'm a financial planner. So I think what he's saying is we're so into the idea of products and investments, we know so much that that we forget what it's like to actually just go away and be a client of a financial planner. It's like doctors, isn't it? They're the, they're the worst patients. They're the worst in the world at going to see another doctor, and uh, perhaps because they feel they know it all, or because yeah. the, I think sometimes they probably know too much. They're frightened about what they <laughs> yes, might be told. Yes, yes absolutely. I th- so an interesting question to ask of a potential financial financial advisor that you're looking to engage might just be do you engage a financial advisor yourself next tweet from steve wilson at i'm steve wilson advice was one of the things being requested for room 101 last week i was disappointed when it didn't go in is that a bit like michael goes don't trust experts do you think <laughs> well i suppose it could be as well i just would prefer not to trust michael go <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, Steve, Steve's always been pithy and he's, he's contributed a few tweets. Um, he followed that one up with, I always consider advice from Chris very carefully. Hashtag double-edged compliments. <laughs> right, let's get on to our topic today. Uh, so people, you are saying, need help in creating their financial plan. So what are the options and how can they decide what's right for them? Well, I would suggest there's really only one place to be starting this. And I'm guessing that is the Financial Wellbeing Book Do you know by what? Chris Budd. All proceeds <laughs> to Penny Broad Cancer Care. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. The re- whole point in writing that book was to give people who've got no access to a financial advisor the ability to create their own financial plan. Um, so the first few chapters, we talk about creating a clear path to identifiable objectives. We are at pains to point out that they should talk to someone else about their hopes and dreams, about their future, about what they want their life to look like, in order to get challenged and work out what they want their future to be. So a quick reminder of Carl Richard's point from a previous podcast, not to be overawed by the idea of what should my life look like. And I do forget this sometimes, and I and I do tend to get into this conversation with a great zeal and excitement and forget to look at the scared expression on the client's face. Do you know what? That's so, so true, isn't it? Some people are not very good at living in the future. They're great at living in the present, very good sometimes at living in the past. But when you ask them to think about how life will be in the future or what they want their life to be, 
some people genuinely find that very, very difficult. They can't project beyond the now. And sometimes it might be because they're just bogged down by the, the reality of life and the complexity of life now, particularly if you've got job and kids and family life and all those things that go with that. It's either because you just haven't looked up. Well, in that case, I'd say stop and look up. You know, And hopefully if somebody's even bothering to listen to this podcast, they've already started that process. But if it's because the future is just a bit daunting, then Carl's point is just make some guesses. We're not trying to lay out a path forever that you have to follow with no deviation. You know, we're just saying, let's just dream a little. Let's just take some guesses at what the future might look like. And the whole point of that, and we must not get too far away from this, about dreaming and looking forward is that, you know, these podcasts are about money, but they're about how money can make you happy. So, Which is the whole point of what we're talking about. Exactly. So we've got the book. Uh, what other options have we got? Okay, well, I think we can we can split this into two different camps. We can look at the things that you have to pay for and those that are free. So let's start with that legendary individual, the bane of every financial advisor's life, the man down the pub. Oh, right. So this is the guy who says... I tell you what you need to do. I've got a very good tip for you. <laughs> My brother-in-law has got this great scheme. Is that the sort of That's man exactly that we're the talking sort of about? Thing. Yeah. Uh, pensions, load of rubbish, mate. Yeah. What you want to do is go and invest in stocks and shares in that company that's just been launched on the, on the dot-com thing. You know, they, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They've got a little knowledge. And as the great line says, free advice is worth every penny you pay for it. Yeah, I get that. And and also, you know, another truism, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. So you'll always end up uh, paying for it somewhere down the line. Yeah. And of course, the guy on the pub isn't regulated. So mm-hmm. you've got no comeback or accountability for what he says to you. But every financial advisor, I'm sure every professional will have a story about a client who did something daft because the bloke down the pub gave a little nudge or didn't do something sensible because the guy down the pub said it wasn't right. And I suppose that's the danger with money, isn't it? Sometimes we are talking about large large amounts of money here and potentially life-changing amounts of money. And we've all heard stories about people who've been, who've been scammed out of money by the internet equivalent of the man down the pub, you know, yeah. somebody that they've met online that might make all sorts of promises to them. If I was listening on the news yesterday, and apparently there's been a real increase recently in people who are targeting vulnerable, usually women, online, who've got lots of money and offering all sorts of quick fixes, usually involving romance, in order to try and scam them out of their money. So the man in the pub is clearly someone to be aware of. The professional version is even worse. Yeah, absolutely. I met a really interesting guy recently at a speaking event who is a, a detective constable. Is that a thing? He was a police. Is, yeah. Um, and he, in his spare time, what a great guy, in his spare time runs a charity that tries to prevent financial fraud. So he does it during his day job and then spends his spare time doing it as well. And he told me that the number of incidents of financial fraud is more than all the other inc- incidents of all other crime put together. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's a massive thing. People giving their their bank details online. We had one in the company yesterday where my colleague was asked to make a payment of £12,500 from my email address. And I don't, we've got no idea how they managed to do that. We're looking into it, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so be very careful of anybody who gives you free advice um, and never, ever give your bank details uh, to somebody that you don't absolutely 100% trust. Particularly the man in the pub wielding a pint. <laughs> yes, exactly. The wider point here is that the advice you get from somebody is based upon their values and not yours. 
So even the man in the pub that's well-intentioned, not suggesting he's a crook, but he's well-intentioned, but it's based upon his attitude to risk, for example, his capacity for loss, his ability to lose money, not yours. So then do you think it's therefore important that a good financial advisor will give you advice based on, on who you are? So rather than just saying, I'm just going to give you the same advice I give everybody else, is it important, therefore, that they get to know their client and what their client's aspirations are? Absolutely key. And you, you could wider this to solicitors, to accountants, you know, any professional advisor. Is the advice that they're given consistent with your objectives and values? Or is it just what they tell everybody to do? And I would suggest that's a really good tip for anybody taking any form of professional advice. Does that professional advisor take their time to really properly understand me? So we've uh, talked about the dangers of the man in the pub. And, and, and while we chatted about that, we talked about then the dangers of uh, the Internet. But obviously there are also lots of um, positive people, good people, legal people out there in the Internet. Can that help us get the advice that we need? Absolutely. There's loads of resources. There's some uh, books, podcasts, websites. So let's let's give people a few that they might want to go and have a look at. For starters, um, obviously, other than the Financial Wellbeing book, uh, the where I started, actually, was a book called Wellbeing by Rath and Harter. And it was a really useful tool for me to analyse financial wellbeing. Incidentally, all of these books and podcasts will be on the show notes on the website, which is financialwell-being. So just, you don't have to write them all down now. You can just go and have a look there. Sheikonomics by Simone Gnesson. That's a really good book. Really interesting if you just want to know how to start getting engaged. And of course, any of the books by Carl Richards are really interesting too. And also our uh, Twitter followers have been very helpful here, suggesting uh, books that they like. Alistair Walker, at Financial Walker, recommends Smarter Investing by Tim Hale. He calls it a fantastic blueprint for low involvement investing. And we all want low involvement investing, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. At Adam Downs recommends a book called Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I like the sound of that. Um, and at Mr. Xmas Tree likes at Mr. Money Moustache, whose site is mrmoneymoustache.com. And there's, uh, you can combine two of those, actually. I was listening to the Tim Ferriss show, which is F-E-R-R-I-S-S, and he has a, a long uh, conversation with Mr. Money Mustache. Mustache is spelled, by the way, the American way, M-U-S. And it's about two hours. It's quite a long podcast, uh, but it's a really interesting chat. Lots of good tips and ideas and suggestions. It's just a different way of looking at life, really. Before we get off books, however, I would also just mention that the Financial Wellbeing book is part of a series called the Concise Advice Series. So um, please do go and just type in Concise Advice into Google and you'll, you'll find all the different books. They're all like the Financial Wellbeing book, relatively short short, lots of pictures, easy to read, full of tips. My personal favourite is the Future Book, which is a fascinating way of thinking about the future and, and what it might what it might be, just going back to previous conversation. And finally on books, of course, there's the old favourite, The Antidote by Oliver Berkman. Oh, Oliver Berkman. Now, when is Oliver Berkman coming on the show? Chris? Well, anybody who follows the Ovation Twitter account and happens to also follow him will know that I'm on him almost every day. <laughs> I reckon maybe we should get a, a campaign going to get Oliver Berkman onto the podcast. Is he responding at all to your tweets? No, does not he, as yet. Does he follow you on Twitter? Not as yet. <laughs> <laughs> so one might suggest we've got a long way to go on exactly. this. So anybody out there that has any sort of contact with Oliver Berkman, tell him to follow... <laughs> Uh, Chris's tweets, the financial well-being tweets, and get on the podcast. So let's all get nagging onto Oliver to come and come and see because he's. That, I love that book. It's full of such great ideas. 
Other financial podcasts to, to recommend, um, there's two financial planners, two of the top financial planners in the country have both have shows, Informed Choice Radio from Martin Bamford. He interviews really interesting people like economics and investment experts. So if you want to get into the bones of what we're talking about, the real meat of, of how to invest and what the, how the economy looks like, behavioural, really interesting interviews. And Pete Matthews' Meaningful Money podcast is the longest-running and the most popular podcast in the UK, full of practical tips. So where we're looking at planning and well-being, and etc., both of those are looking at more of the specifics of money. And finally, a couple of websites to mention. Boring Money is one that we mentioned in the book, and they have lots of interesting stuff. And also a shout-out for Mouthy Money. Uh, both of them are trying to make personal finance fun and interesting to engage with. And again, let's not lose sight of that. It is all about fun and it's about well-being and it's about using money to make us happy which it can and indeed should do now i'm uh, much as i've embraced modern technology uh, i'm also a bit of a luddite and i also used to when i first came to trying to find out about money because as a younger man i knew nothing about it at all so instinctively i would go to the papers to the broadsheets that's where i looked for financial advice, investment advice, would that still be the case now? Yes, to a point, although I confess it does have some limitations. Uh, Jeff Prestridge, one of the top personal finance journalists in the country, he said as much in the podcast we did with him a while ago, that the papers do tend to focus on news rather than practical ideas and tips. So although there can be good things to be found in those pages, they do tend to be topical and, dare I suggest, perhaps sometimes rather negative. But you can get good tips, so keeping up to date with state pension changes or getting cheaper utility bills. Simon Reid is another personal finance journalist who will be on a future podcast, and he focuses very much on helping people with the specifics and day-to-day of their money. So there can be good stuff to be found. But one big caveat to this, and the above two gentlemen are not included in this, but some of the personal finance journalism can be best buy tips. Put as much faith in the best buy tips that you see in the papers as you would in their horse racing tips. Um, What is an absolute truism is whatever was the best performing fund last year will not be the best performing fund this year. So when you see a newspaper saying stock tips or best buy fund tips, um, I would personally suggest you don't go anywhere near those. Yeah, and actually, we're not really here to talk about financial tips anyway, are we? We're trying to focus on helping people create financial plans uh, and engage with their money. So we've looked at various uh, different uh, resources out there. And does the government help at all with this? Yes and no. Uh, The state of financial education in this country is absolutely appalling. Um, You don't get any financial education really in schools. And so kids are leaving school with no knowledge of budgeting and etc. We are actually that there are a number of organisations trying to improve that. But the school resources are so, you know, tightly stretched and they have to teach them things that pass exams, not necessarily life skills. So uh, there's one exam being created that we're sponsoring in our local school, for example, which um, teaches people about basic personal finance issues and they end up with a certificate. So there is stuff helping uh, with that. The Money Advice Service website from the government actually is really good. There's lots of good stuff on there, tools and calculators. Um, It's not going to be around for much longer because it was rather costly to put together. But um, the government are looking at how they can combine a number of different uh, ways of providing financial education. So a bit of a watch this space on that one. But in the meantime, that website, Money Advice Service, has got some good stuff on it. Investment clubs. Now, a few years ago, oh gosh, 20 years ago or so now, I was a member here in Backwell of an investment club, and there was about about 10 of us, I think. 
I was very much uh, a, a virgin at financial matters when it came to it. A lot of the other guys seemed anyway on the face of it to know a lot more about money than I did. And we used to go along every week down to the local uh, village club and sit around. Everybody would bring their tips for the week that they'd glean from doing research. And the man down the pub. Exactly. The man, <laughs> exactly. So there was 10 men down the pub and we'd sit around and everyone would say, well, you know, I, I reckon Marks and Spencers are doing quite well. This well, week. that's we a big call. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we should invest in Marks and Spencers. Somebody else, well, I've been looking at this particular one. So we'd all sit around and, of course, we could never agree. We could never agree on what we all invested. So we used to sit around talking about what we could invest our money in. But I'm not aware that we ever actually invested any. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah. Well, uh, what's your view on investment clubs? Well, they could be good fun. I guess the important thing about an investment club is only invest into it what you can afford to lose. There are a number of uh, pitfalls that one sees from whether it's investment clubs or people doing their own investing. So there's a few tips that one might give to people who are managing their own investments. And I guess the clue is in the word that managing, looking after them. My experience of investment clubs is people come along with their tips, with their, I've got a great thing to buy, mm. which may have come from the personal finance section of the newspaper. But they don't then keep an eye on it. They don't then track it. Because when to buy a share is one thing. When to sell it is equally as important. They've also usually got an aversion to selling something if it goes down, even though that might be the best thing to do. So loss aversion is a is a dangerous thing. Um, we're touching on behavioural um, investing here, which is an interesting topic. So there's a number of pitfalls that you see people take. Um, I'm not sure investing by committee is necessarily the best thing either. <laughs> My father's great sayings was, a, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. Absolutely right. So an investment portfolio portfolio designed by a committee might not necessarily be uh, to everybody's values. And I do believe, aren't there various online systems now that you can use to create a portfolio for yourself? I don't know too much about them, but I'm rather hoping you do. <laughs> there are. The, the generic name is RoboAdvice, and they serve a place. Uh, I have no problem with them. Uh, Nutmeg, I think, is one of the most popular and well-known ones. Other ones are available. And they will ask you a few basic questions to make sure that they understand your attitude to risk, and then they will um, give you an asset allocation and investment portfolio based upon that. Obviously, being a financial planner, I'm going to say that it's not a financial planning service. But if you want to get started, if you want to build up a portfolio, um, if you want it cheap and if you want as little engagement as possible, then, then they serve a purpose. Personally, I would say go to a financial planner who helps you create the plan so that that investment portfolio is really aligned with your requirements. But I'm hugely biased there and we should perhaps get someone on from Nutmeg to give the other side of the story. Well, let's do it by all means in a future podcast. Right, we've covered an awful lot of ground today, Chris. It's been very interesting. So let's just uh, uh, resolve it all now if we can. So if people want to get some help, some proper advice, and they're prepared to pay for it, which you seem to be suggesting is a good way forward, uh, what's their best approach? Okay, so there's a number of different ways of getting financial advice um, from a person. This can get slightly confusing, so I just want to want to clear a bit of jargon out the way. Okay, we've got wealth manager, we've got financial advisor, independent financial advisor, financial coach, financial planner. All of these people do slightly different things. The first one to clear out the way is the wealth manager, because that doesn't do what it sounds like. They don't manage wealth. They're stockbrokers, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to a wealth manager, you're probably just going to get an investment service. And if that's what you want, that's great. You know, no problem at all. But be clear on what you're getting. Some wealth managers may have some financial planners working for them. But generally speaking, 
a, a wealth manager will give you an investment service. You can get an independent financial advisor, IFA, and I hope lots of people will know that acronym. You can get a restricted advisor. Um, that distinction simply means the range of products that you can recommend. I'm not sure that's massively important, really. Uh, people don't really care about their investments. They want to know about their planning and their future. So if you do go for a, a financial advisor, make sure you get a financial planner. If you speak to somebody when you interview them, say, do you do financial planning? And I would suggest you go further and you say, do you do financial coaching? What qualifications or training do you have for coaching and financial planning? And then you're going to be more likely to get somebody who can challenge you, encourage you to look at your dreams, your future, etc. And then plan a path to get there. And then they can go to their products and help create the investment portfolio and use the tax advantages and pensions knowledge to to get you there as well but actually it's the challenging bit that i think is the important part of the process so there's a lot of stuff out there uh, which we've touched on today in terms of how we can use all sorts of different pieces of information in order to increase our financial well-being so there's one last thing i'd like to finish on david these podcasts are about knowing what you want from life but we're not trying to tell people to spend less or consume less. It's about working out what you want your future to be. But the funny thing is that when you do get people to focus around what's important in their life, they do tend to end up spending less money and consuming less, and then using that money to save for their chosen future. So there's lots of ideas about how to get started. There's lots of ways about how, who to go out and get advice from. But at the end of the day, it's a bit like saying, I want to get fit, and buying lots of fitness magazines end of the day you've got to actually leave the house and do some exercise so the best tip i would really give to end on in all of this is just do something excellent and the very next thing you should do if you haven't already done it go and buy a copy of a financial <laughs> well-being book uh, we'll be back very soon with another podcast if you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts make sure you click the subscribe button for more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris. And David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. Now I know that I had to borrow, beg and steal and lie and cheat. Trying to keep you, trying to please you, because being in love with you ain't cheap. <laughs>